Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today, which means that you'll hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's November 20th. A whale sank the whaling ship Essex on this day in 1820. The story starts on the island of Nantucket off of Cape Cod, Massachusetts, which was the heart of the whaling industry in the early 19th century. This industry had started out with people butchering dead whales that had washed up on shore, and then that progressed to people hunting whales relatively close to the shore from boats, and then to hunting whales farther and farther out to sea in much larger and more sophisticated ships. As people were whaling farther and farther out from the shore, these ships started to have equipment on board to process what was harvested from the whales because that was a lot easier than trying to haul an entire whale back to the shore, sometimes from thousands of miles away. A lot of what they were really after was the spermaceti. Also, people call that spermaceti from the heads of sperm whales, They were also harvesting blubber. It wasn't as much about the meat. It was about the blubber and the oil and also ambergris, which you had to be really lucky to get. That was a lot more rare. So whaling ships had this series of pots and fires on board called a triworks that was used to render the blubber while they were still at sea. And the whale ship also carried a few smaller whaling boats because the main ship itself was not all that maneuverable. You needed something much smaller and faster to be able to actually hunt a whale. Voyages were also meant to last a really long time. It was not uncommon for a ship to set out with three or four years of supplies and two and a half year voyages were really typical. This is also incredibly dangerous work. A lot of people died. In August of 1819, the Essex set sail from Nantucket and nearly sank in a squall just two days later. They eventually made their way to the Galapagos Islands, though, and they resupplied with turtle meat while they were there. But while they were there, they also set a fire on Charles Island that was massively destructive and probably led to the extinction of at least two animal species. More than a year after they had left Nantucket, they spotted a pod of whales and they deployed two boats to go hunt them. But then the people that were still on the main whaling ship noticed another whale that was behaving oddly. It seemed to be watching them. They estimated that this whale was about 85 feet or 26 meters long, which was extremely large for a sperm whale. And then it headed straight for them. It struck the ship, turned around, came back and struck them again. So with the ship seriously damaged, it started to sink. Fortunately for the crew, those boats that were used to hunt the whales were still in order. And the men, all of them survived the sinking, divided up and got into them. They were also able to salvage about 60 days worth of supplies, including 195 gallons of water. At first, they talked about heading for the Marquesas or the Society Islands. Both of those were more than a 1,000 miles away, and the prevailing current would help get them there, but they were afraid of cannibals on these islands, which is going to turn out to be ironic. Instead of going that way, they headed for Peru or Chile, 
both of which required them to go against the current and against the wind. But they were so afraid of the cannibal threat that that seemed like the best option. When they got to the Pitcairn Islands, three of the men decided to stay behind, but the rest of them decided to continue on because there wasn't really a lot there for them to sustain themselves. But these men in the whaling boats did not have enough provisions to get to land. And after a while, survivors turned to cannibalism when their crewmates died. It got to a point, though, where no one had died, so they had to draw lots to decide who would be murdered and then eaten. They were finally spotted off the coast of Chile on February 23rd, 1821, after more than three months. In the end, there were eight survivors out of the 20 or 21 who set sail initially. That included those three men that had stayed behind when the rest got back in the boats. Captain George Pollard Jr. survived. His next ship, though, was the Two Brothers, and it also sank after it struck a coral reef. At that point, no one would hire him to captain a ship anymore. And then this whole story became the inspiration for the classic novel Moby Dick. The first mate, who was named Owen Chase, also wrote a book about this whole experience, which was called Narrative of the Most Extraordinary and Distressing Shipwreck of the Whale Ship Essex of Nantucket, which was attacked and finally destroyed by a large spermacetic whale in the Pacific Ocean with an account of the unparalleled sufferings of the captain and crew during a space of 93 days at sea in open boats in the years 1819 and 1820. You can learn more about this in the September 27th, 2010 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. And you can subscribe to the Stay in History Class on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a document to establish a new government. Hey, I'm Eves. And you're listening to This Day in History Class, a podcast where we bring you a slice of history every day. The day was November 20th, 1695. Zumbi, an Afro-Brazilian leader of the anti-slavery resistance in Brazil, was executed by the Portuguese. He has since become a symbol of Black freedom, Today, the date of his execution is commemorated in Brazil as Black Awareness Day or Black Consciousness Day. Zumbi was born in Palmeiras in the Portuguese colony of Brazil, and he's believed to be the descendant of the Mbangala warriors in Angola. From the time people began enslaving Africans and sending them to Brazil in the 1500s, Brazil was the biggest destination for enslaved Africans in the Americas. Africans and their descendants who had escaped slavery in Brazil built maroon settlements known as mocambos. A united collection of mocambos has been called a quilombo. Palmares, where Zumbi was born, was a quilombo in the mountains of northeast Brazil that was founded in 1605. Portuguese colonists frequently attacked them, and Palmares was no exception. A few years after Zumbi was born, the Portuguese kidnapped him, and for years he lived in a coastal monastery. He learned Portuguese, Latin, and the tenets of Catholicism. But when Zumbi was around 15 years old, he escaped and returned to Palmares. At this point, his uncle, Ganga Zumba, was the king of Palmares. 
Ganga Zumba appointed Zumbi to a post as a military commander, since Portuguese forces and plantation owners were consistently raiding the settlement. In response, the people of Palmares conducted raids against the Portuguese, including ones led by Zumbi. They intimidated colonists and captured people enslaved on plantations. Enslaved people who escaped to Palmares were considered free, but those who were captured at plantations and taken to the Quilombo were required to work. They could earn their freedom by capturing someone else. Enslaved people who fled Palmares were punished if they were later recaptured. Through this system, Palmares' population grew significantly. The people in Palmares were farmers, hunters, and fishers. Since they bartered with traders for guns and ammunition, soldiers were well-armed. Zumbi gained authority and respect as people recognized his strength, wisdom, and courage in battle. In 1678, the governor of the captaincy of Pernambuco, Pedro Almeida, negotiated a peace treaty with King Ganga Zumba. The king agreed to the treaty, but Zumbi did not like its terms, nor did he trust the Portuguese. Zumbi rejected the deal and Gangazumba's acceptance of it, and he incited a revolt. Gangazumba was poisoned and died, and Zumbi became king. He continued Palmares' fight against the Portuguese. Most Quilombos did not last long because of Portuguese attacks, but Palmares lasted for nearly a century. Though Zumbi continued the anti-Portuguese resistance, the Portuguese aggressively attacked Palmares, burning the land and overpowering its fighters with their forces. Zumbi was captured and decapitated on November 20, 1695, and Palmares fell. The Portuguese celebrated the defeat and used it to send a message to other resistance fighters who dared to take up arms against them. Brazil was the last nation in the Americas to abolish slavery when it did so in 1888. In the centuries after his death, stories about Zumbi were passed down in oral traditions, and primary sources related to his history were dug up. For Brazilians of African descent, Palmares is remembered for its challenge to colonial authority, and Zumbi's legacy is honored as one of heroic resistance. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you haven't gotten your fill of history yet, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at T-D-I-H-C podcast. And if you would like to write me a letter, you can scan it, turn it into a PDF, and send it to us via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. We're here every day, so you know where to find us. Bye!